So uh, throughout this sermon series, right, we've been talking about questions that God asks. We've been talking about different ways that God interacts with his people. And what we've seen is that when God asks questions, I actually want to put these on so I can see all of you, okay? Uh, that when God asks questions, he asks questions not because he doesn't know the answer to them, right? But because he desires to draw us into relationship with himself. That when he asks questions, what he often is doing is he's exposing our hearts and then he's bringing us into a deeper experience of him. And God has asked questions so far like, uh, where are you? What are you doing here? What is your name? And we've heard that those ancient questions are questions that God asks us. They're for you. They're for me. The question this week is, is a little bit different. The question that we read in today's passage is, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Whom shall I send and who will go for us? That what God is doing is he's inviting us into his work in the world through this question. And when we hear that, right, there's something in all of us that says, yes, I want to be a part of that because I want to be a part of something significant, don't you? Don't you? Yes, okay. (laughs) We want to believe that our lives are significant, that what we are doing in this world is significant, that our relationships matter. So what we often do when we hear that question, uh, whom shall I send, who will go for us, when when we get into talking about what it means to be doing something significant, what we usually reach for is the bike pump, right? And we get our bike pump down and we start pumping up our own egos. Just gotta, gotta pump them up. Because if I'm gonna do something significant, I have to believe that I am significant, right? What was so surprising to me about this passage is that that is not how God engages Isaiah in this question of significance this week. But actually, what God does is he kind of takes a balloon to Isaiah's ego and he He pops it. And it's from that place that God invites Isaiah to be a part of something significant. So I'm gonna invite Jamie Doris to come on up. Jamie is gonna read for us. Out of Isaiah six, yes. So if you have your Bibles, you can can flip there to Isaiah six. We're gonna be in verses one through eight. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me. For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. The word of the Lord. So do you hear how God took a pin there and popped the balloon of Isaiah's ego? That he would say, woe is me, I'm undone. And now what does that for Isaiah is his experience of God's holiness. So that's the first thing we're gonna talk about this morning is God's holiness. And then we're gonna talk about the question that God asks. 
So God's holiness and the question that God asks. Pray with me. Father, uh, we are thankful for your word. Oh, Lord, we're thankful that in your uh, holiness that that has not kept you from us, but that that has brought you to us. Uh, because, Lord, we would be unable to bring ourselves to you. As we open your word, as we study your word this morning, uh, would, you, would you make us more in awe of your holiness and who you are, Jesus? And would that uh, lead us not to tear, but, but to worship? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So God's holiness is really the focal point of this entire passage. It's what everything kind of builds up to and descends down from. And we hear it most clearly in this line that the, fer- the, the seraphim, the, 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 the seraphim sing, okay? They say, oh, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. You're probably wondering, what the heck is a seraphim? Great question. Hard to say, Okay. <laughs> But kind of the idea here is that this is some, this is some kind of angelic being, some kind of spiritual being. It has six, six wings, right? With two, it covers its eyes. Two, it's flying. Two, it's covering its feet. But this, this word seraphim literally means uh, burning ones. And so kind of the picture, as you pick, kind of picture the wings out and around, is of these flames that are above God crying out, holy, holy, holy. And this is actually the only attribute of God that is repeated three times in a row in Scripture. And in doing that, God is trying to highlight something very important for us here. He's saying that this is the defining attribute of God. See, repetition in the Hebrew language was a way of offering uh, emphasis, okay, because there was, there was no bolding text, right, or underlining anything. And Hebrew was a language without consonants, without spaces between words, without punctuation marks. So the way that you would catch a reader's attention is you would repeat a word. It's kind of like, do you guys remember MS Word back when Clippy was around, you know? Some of those earlier iterations? Okay, good, this means, uh, hopefully you'll you'll get this. So, uh, did you ever use word art? Remember that cool feature? where you could like take a word and you could blow it up and make it like a big arch or like it, like it got bigger out to the side and you could kind of like shade the coloring of it. And yes, okay. Great for the title of a report, right? About an animal <laughs> or sales maybe or vision, I don't know. Okay, this holy, holy, holy repeated three times is like taking one of those clip art, like piece of word art and putting it right in the middle of the text. Not the title, right in the middle. That's God saying, hey, let me get your attention. This is important, I'm holy. R.C. Sproul points out that God God does not call himself mercy, 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 or love, 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 or justice, 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 or wrath, wrath, wrath. He calls himself holy, holy, holy. And so we do well to pay attention to what holiness means. What does it mean? Holiness is God's set-apartness. Holiness is what makes God, God. It's the fact that he is the creator and we are the creation. It's what makes God, it's superlative in all things. And not like your senior superlative, right? Did any of you win senior superlative? No, don't raise your hands, okay? I need to shame the rest of us because the rest of us didn't win. Uh, Senior superlatives, right, are a matter of degree. Like, who has the best smile amongst all of us? Who is the most likely to succeed amongst us? So we're comparing each other to figure out amongst us who has 
those things. That's not God. God is not superlative to us in a matter of degree, as if we are like a little bit perfect, but God is really perfect. No, no, it's a, it's, it's a difference in the matter of essence. It's a difference in the matter of being. That God and who he is is so much greater than we ever could be, that in his essence, he is different than us. And in this vision, spatial terms are used to communicate that sense of greatness, high and lifted up. It's a visual or a spatial analogy to communicate God's greatness. That the train of his robe fills the temple with, the edge of his robe fills the temple with glory. This idea of God's bigness, again, his greatness, speaking to his holiness, how much more than us God is. His holiness is all of God's perfections, his wholeness, his completeness. And we often think about perfection as something static, you know? Like, after my kids go to bed, I put everything back in its spot, and then the house is perfect. Like, if it could just stay like that. But then it doesn't, because life happens, right? And so imperfection is like the, is like the messiness of life. That's not God's perfection or his holiness. God's perfection, his holiness, is not static. It's dynamic. It's expressed in everything that God does. Every action of God is an expression of God's holiness. That when you see God's love, his righteousness, his grace at work in the world, that what it points you back to is how God is all of those things, but so much more than we could ever be them. And what that's meant to evoke in us is worship. That it's, that it's beautiful, that it's majestic, that we would say, wow. It's kind of like the Olympics, right? Have any of you been watching the Olympics? Otherwise, this analogy will be totally lost on everyone, okay? <laughs> Good. Uh, I, was a, I was a swimmer growing up, so I love to watch the swimming. And Caleb Dressel, right, was like this year's swimming person, the person that NBC anointed as like their, we're going to advertise the heck out of him. Okay, so when he's up there on the blocks, right, uh, Rowdy Gaines, all of our favorite uh, swimming commentator, he is just losing his ever-loving mind, isn't he? When Caleb Dressel jumps off the block, Rowdy's like, can you believe it? It's just so into it. You're like, whoa, Rowdy, calm down. He does the flip turn, you know, he's like, look, zoom in on the video. He gets the marker out. He's drawn circles around it. Look at that kick. And you're like, Wow. Rowdy, right, is like moved to, to worship, you could say, right, by the distinction between him and the rest of us and Caleb Dressel. Wow. Again, that's a difference that's a matter of degree. The God that we worship is different than us in his essence. And then what it's meant to call out of us is worship. That's what we were designed to, to be a part of. And that our, our lives as humans were created to be lived in the light of God's holiness. That we would look, that we would look at him in a worship and be able to, to praise him for the beauty that, that he has. And that then, as we turn to, toward our lives, that the, his holiness would light up our world. That it would be the light that directs us and how we would walk and how we would live. Right, that God, in the garden, he placed us in a world that was, that was full of raw material. And he said, go, be creative, take dominion. Bring flourishing out of this world and do it in light of my holiness. That when you look at what you've created with your hands, that people would look at that and they would say, wow, God is holy. 
That's how we were created to live, is in light of God's holiness. But that's not what Isaiah says here when he's confronted with the holiness of God, is it? What Isaiah says is, woe is me. And up until this point, Isaiah has, has pronounced six different woes in the last chapter of Isaiah. Woe on all of these other people. The judgment of God is coming. The seventh woe in the book of Isaiah is the woe that Isaiah pronounces on himself. Woe is me. For I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. What's true about Isaiah, it's true about us, is that we have turned away from the holiness of God and we have lit our own fires. We've tried to live in the light of our own lights that we've kindled for ourselves and those lights have nothing on the holiness of God. Really what they do is they leave us blind. Though what we have done is we've lived in rebellion to the holiness of God. Now, East Nashville knows this, okay? I'm kind of like a history nerd, so just go with me on a historical illustration, if you will, for a minute, okay? There's this Roman emperor, his name was Diocletian. Uh, and Diocletian's goal, okay, was to totally change uh, the way that the Roman people looked at the Roman emperor. So up until that point, it was important to the Roman emperors that they be perceived as kind of the first citizens, like very George Washington, you know, like Mr. Emperor, just like one of the guys. And what Diocletian said is, hey, God, I'm tired of that. What we need to do here is change the way that we all function. And what everyone needs to know is that I am different than them and I'm above them. So he did things like uh, he, he wore a purple cape uh, and no one else could wear purple except the emperor. That's one way to do it, right? The, the, the emperors before had prided themselves on their kind of simpleness of dress. He wore a crown and jeweled sandals. So from his head to his feet, covered in gold and jewels. And when people came into his presence, they were required to fall on the ground like this. Looks a lot like worship, doesn't it? Couldn't look at him. When he would go through the streets, people would walk around him with curtains so that normal people couldn't see him. That what he was doing in his life, right, is he was trying to create an aura of holiness about him. Isn't that so often what we do in our own lives? That we have such a desire for significance, for being in touch with something holy, that what we start to do is try to, try to make ourselves that way. What can I do to, to separate myself from you? That's where all of our judgment comes from. Our own need to prove how holy we are to ourselves. Like compare myself to you, right? Put myself above you. We talk about all kinds of ways in our lives that we do that. But think about Isaiah. What does he confess? Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean, what? Lips. As a prophet, where did he find his meaning in his life? With his lips, right? From the spoken word. And what Isaiah is saying is this very place that I have put all of my best efforts, the place that I have used to define me, the thing that sets me apart from everyone else, when I walk into the presence of God, what I see is that that is just an illusion. That all of my best is nothing, is rebellion to God often. 
I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. He sees that he's exposed, right? And that what God's holiness draws out of him is not worship, but terror. His balloon has been popped. But here's what makes our God holy, holy, holy. Is that when Isaiah says, woe is me, right? When he confesses his guilt, you know what God does? He covers it. He sends the seraphim, this flame, right? To pluck a coal from the, from the altar and go and touch Isaiah's lips. Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. I've paid for it all, is what God says to Isaiah. All of it. It's been taken away. It's been covered. All of your sin, all of your rebellion, all your turning away from me, all of your forging your own holiness, it's all been covered. It's all been paid for. And what did Isaiah do for that? Approximately nothing, right? And what Isaiah sees here uh, is a vision. It's It's a picture of what we see more and most fully where? Yes, in Jesus, right? We're in church, that's always the answer. (laughs) That we see most fully in Jesus. Think about this, in John 12, I think it's verse 41, Jesus says, Isaiah spoke rightly, rightly when he said of me. Did Isaiah see Jesus on the throne high and lifted up? And that when the seraphim are looking at Jesus in all of his glory, that what they're doing is they're covering their eyes, they're humbled by his holiness. But this is what Isaiah 53 has to say about Jesus when Jesus came to earth. It says, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew, this is Isaiah prophesying about Jesus. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. That Jesus in his, in his life on this earth as a man that people hid their faces from him. They said, no, what he is bearing is too much from us. His suffering is too great for us. I don't want to look at it. But that suffering that Jesus stepped into in his life and on the cross, that was an expression of God's holiness. Because our God has done for us what no other God does or can do. That he's made atonement on our behalf. Because every other system of thought, right? Every other religion and every other even uh, system of thought that would not claim to be a religion would say that there is a way that you are gonna make yourself holy. There are codes for how, you, for how you act and how you speak and what you're supposed to do. And they say, if you do these things, you will be able to make yourself holy. And what our God says, that is impossible. That's a misunderstanding of my holiness if you think that you can work your way up there. But what our God has done that it sets him apart from every other God is in that very place. He moves toward us and he deals with it himself. He atones for us himself. 
God is holy, holy, holy. That's, God, that's the expression of God's holiness here. Not just him set apart, but what he does with the fact that we are not holy. So let's talk about God's question. Whom shall I send? Who will go for me? Who will go for us? Does it catch anybody off guard that after this experience of having God pop his balloon that Isaiah says, here I am, send me. What? Well, we, what we often do, maybe I'll use an I statement, right? What I often do is think, oh, God, I'm so lowly. How could you use me, right? This is the point. Because this is what Jesus has done for us. Not only has he taken our sin and atoned for it, he's made us holy. That's 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for his own possession. That God has come, not only for you, but made you, made us together holy. That doesn't mean that he's changed our essence and made us like God, right? We're not holy, holy, holy. Don't get carried away. But he's made you holy. He's given you his holiness. He has set you apart and called you to himself. And that's true about you now. So when God says, who will... Who shall I send? Who shall go for us? Me. Send me. Because, God, you've covered my sin and you have made me holy. There's just so much freedom in that, isn't there? That what I get to declare now is not myself. I don't have to, I don't have to worry about proving my own holiness to anybody around me. Like, have you ever walked into a room full of beautiful and successful people and been intimidated? Like, sometimes I feel like that when I come here to Granny White, right? <laughs> Church. And do you ever get into a situation when you walk into a room like that where either you spend the whole time kind of like, oh, I don't know who to approach or I don't know how to, or uh, you're in a conversation and all you can do is like word vomit out how great you are to the people around you because you're trying to prove yourself? Does that ever happen to anybody else? Thank you, a few of you. Yeah, it's not just me. We all do this. Okay. That having the experience of the holiness of God and the repentance that comes from that frees us to walk into whatever room we walk into and know that we're there because we have been made holy. I don't even have to worry about comparing myself anymore. I'm free from that. And so what does that look like? It looks like so many things. We just have some fun talking about that, Right? Who shall I send? Who will go for us? The question is, how do I live in light of this holiness of God that I've looked at, right? Now, what does it mean as I turn to my world and ask Jesus, okay, now how do I live in light of the holiness that you've given me? One thing that's very important here, okay? The call is not for you to be different just for the sake of being different. It's not that we look at our world and we say, hmm, now how do I be different than this? And that... Christianity gets really wonky when that is the way that we're looking at our world, okay? It's not up to you to find the way to be different. It's up to you to, to, to look at the light of God's holiness, look at our world and say, now in light of that holiness, now how am I called to live? 
How are we called to work, right? That the work that we do, the work that you do, that it would be good quality work. Right? Like some of you are artists or, or craftsmen, craftspeople. That's true for those of you who code, do software writing, right? And the way that you write your software or make your art, it matters that it would be good, that it would be quality, that that's a way that we reflect the holiness and the goodness and the beauty of our God in our lives. Also, that we would do work that is good, as in not bad. If you were doing work that hurts other people, that is not walking in the holiness of God, right? Also, how you do your work, that it would be good, good toward other people. That in customer service, when you're in a customer-facing role, the way that you care for and are kind to the people you interact with, that matters. That's a reflection of the holiness of God in your life. The way that you manage the people that you manage, the way you interact with the people that you work with. Right? It's true. It's true for how we work. It's true for how we do family. It's true for how we do family, whether or not you're married or whether or not you have kids. Because you are a part of the family of God, aren't you? And how you do this family matters. It's a reflection of the holiness of God. How you love your spouse, your roommate, the people that you were in community with, even if they're very tiny, like children or small people, right? It matters. It's a reflection of the holiness of God. Like I think of people who, uh, and this is so true about family, right? That family is not just something God has given to bless us, but it's something he's given us to bless the world. And that's, what, that's, like, that's what foster care is, isn't it? is that you would say, hey, I'm gonna give, use this family that God has given me, and I'm gonna bless other people with it. That's a reflection of God's holiness to our world. And here's the thing about uh, fostering, okay? Fostering, you have to scheme to get there. It doesn't just happen to you. There's preparation in that, there's training in that, in thinking about how am I gonna open up my home to this other people and show the holiness of God. And even if God, <laughs> and <laughs> it's really, the effect ruins the effect. Even if you are not called to manifest the holiness of God through fostering, you are called to scheme about how you are going to manifest the holiness of God to the world. That you would think about it, that you would pray about it, that you would plan for it, that it would influence, that those values of looking at the holiness of God would change the way that you think about your life. What are the values that are driving forward your life? And what would it look like Right, to be invited into the great adventure of saying, here I am, God, send me. Organize my life however you want. That that would actually drive the way that we make our choices in our life, what we choose to give our lives to, spend our time on. It's not just what we choose to do, but actually, think about this, Isaiah, right? He's a prophet, so he speaks. He, he uses his mouth. You speaking the name of Jesus is not ancillary, okay? It's a part of this. I'm always amazed when I'm around my friends who are Christians how long we can go without actually saying the name of Jesus. It's like we all come here to church, right? We do church together. And like here we can talk about Jesus or someone can talk about Jesus, can say the name. Like when we're, when we're out and about in our daily lives, it's like, hey, how are you? Oh, I'm good. You know, how was church? Oh, it's good. How was small group? Oh, it's good. It's good. We can talk all about all of the religious activities that we're like engaged in together, but we can't say the name of Jesus together? Come on! Let's talk about the name of Jesus, our holy God who's come for us, that he would influence the way that we speak, not just to people who already know Jesus, right? But when we're with people who know Jesus and people who don't know Jesus at the same time. Whoa. It's a really easy gateway into talking about Jesus. It's to kind of mix those two together. 
that that would even be true with people who don't know Jesus at all. That we would want to, that we would want to say his name, that we would want to talk about, not our own holiness. <sighs> Gross, I don't want to talk about that, right? Other people don't need you to talk. People have heard religious people talk about how good they are plenty. They don't need any of that. I don't need any of that. But to talk about our Jesus and what he has done for us and that expression of his holiness, that is a beautiful thing. And all this scheming and all this speaking, I'm just gonna tell you, very important right now, right? The last week or two, it's been pretty scary for me. I don't know if it has been for you. Wondering, what is gonna happen? I'm gonna put a mask back on. Like, what, like what is gonna happen? And it's been easy for me to slide back into fear and to start to push away and kind of withdraw. What would it look like for us as a church, for whatever happens in the next few months, to lean in and say, Jesus, what would it look like for me to be scheming about showing your holiness to my world uh, in the midst of whatever happens next with COVID? How would I scheme about that toward my neighbors, toward the people that I work with? Because friends, our Jesus, the Jesus that we see here, high and lifted up, seated on his throne, that King Jesus is on his throne even now. Amen. Even in the midst of us not knowing what's gonna come next. And this actually, the context of this passage, this is when King Uzziah died. Okay, so King Uzziah was a good king, a king of the southern kingdom, king of Judah, right? And he's a good king. He, Judah was thriving politically, economically. And when the king dies, everyone's wondering, what's gonna happen now? Is this bad news? It was, okay? That's when the plane started to lose altitude for the kingdom of Judah, right? It's all kind of downhill from there. And God says, hey, in the midst of that, you need to know I'm still on the throne. I'm holy and my work has not stopped and I love you. And will you come and be a part of that with me regardless of what is going on in the world around you? That's the invitation for us. Okay, here's where we're gonna end. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. That word is, is not actually in the Hebrew. The whole earth, full of his glory. And commentators argue, how should we translate that? What's the tense of that word? The earth is currently full of his glory, or the earth will be full of his glory? Trick question, the answer is both. Currently, you can see God's glory in the world. There will be a time when God's glory is more fully here, when he comes again. And in the meantime, we get to participate in working, making the earth more full of his glory. The way that God pictures that in this passage is with a cloud of smoke. That's always this metaphor that is used for the presence of God in the world. Okay, here's the dream, right? That Nashville would be covered in the, in, in the, in the smoke of the glory of God, that it would be like the, like the day after the 4th of July when the air quality of Nashville is unhealthy for sensitive groups, right? <laughs> You wake up and you're like, what happened last night? <laughs> that God's holiness would be manifested to the world around us so clearly that, that the, the, his presence would be thick over the city of Nashville because it's thick in our lives, in your life. And that we'd be participants in bringing that to our world as God asked the question, who shall I send and who will go for us? Let me pray for us. Father, uh, thank you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Uh, God, we confess that we are in desperate need of your holiness. 
Would you, even as we worship, uh, awaken us uh, to what your holiness means for our lives? Lord, would you draw us to repentance and then draw us out uh, into living in light of that in the world around us? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.